0: I have enjoyed across preparing the of it, I have enjoyed the preaching it, a and you can find out more about Jubilee and by visiting like our website, www.jubilee.org.uk, and, and I can see why there are some challenges in the book of Daniel that we've needed to grapple with, we've needed to get hold of, and we needed to work at, and sometimes we've needed to say, we just don't know, but we know that God does, and that he's in control. And uh, I think it's been a good series. Uh, I think God has taught us a number of things along the way. If you've missed any of the uh, and you can get them off the website. You can download them. That may well help you and serve you, I trust. Um, but we come now this morning to our last week in the book of Daniel. And um, I'm going to attempt to do the last three chapters in one message. So we've got a lot to pack in this morning. There's a lot of material to get hold of. There's a lot to, to look at together. Um, but I thought it would be better to do that rather than stretch it out and still be looking right at the back end of Daniel as we go into September, having had a bit of a break over the summer and just trying to remember what was going on. I thought it would be good to to finish it Well, So I'm trusting with God's grace I will be able to do that this morning and serve us as we go. So shall we pray and uh, let's be asking the Holy Spirit to to help us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are the word incarnate. Uh, We thank you, God, for your written word to us as well. And we pray now as we spend this time this morning looking at these final chapters in the book of Daniel. We pray, oh God, would you help us to understand what we read? Would you apply it to our lives? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us. We ask, oh God, that you would be with us. I pray you'd help me to communicate well. I pray, would you come and be our teacher this morning, please? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to be turning to Daniel chapter 10, please. We're not going to read all of the last three chapters this morning. That would take up most of our time if we attempted that. But rather, I want to focus in on chapter 10. We're going to read some of that together, and uh, then we'll be referring to 11 and 12 uh, as we go. But I would encourage you, uh, maybe during the week, uh, to read the last two two chapters as well, so that will give you a good handle on what we've been looking at this morning. So, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold round his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and a voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you? My Lord, my, st- my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. So, the year is now 536 BC. We're told that right at the beginning of uh, Daniel 10 there. We, We can work it out when the third year... Of Cyrus, king of Persia was. And what's happened is the Persians have overthrown the Babylonians. Do you remember that Daniel and his friends got captured by the Babylonians, taken off from Jerusalem off to Babylon? Well now some years later the the Persians have overthrown the Babylonians. And there's been a change in the political climate. That happens, doesn't it? And we've seen it in our nation. Every now and then you get get a change in the political climate. Even uh, this week, Kevin was referring earlier to a a change in the the climate of the nation and what we think about different things. That happens. And that happens here as the Persians had, had taken over from the Babylonians. There was a change. And in his first year, Cyrus, this king, issued a decree which allowed the exiles to return home. You can read about it in Ezra chapter 1. But it seems that Daniel didn't go back. He remained at his post there. And so Daniel would now be aged around 90 or so. That's what most commentators think it would be. Daniel's now about 90. So when we first encountered Daniel, he would have been maybe in his mid-teens. He would have been a teenager. And we've seen Daniel right throughout the book. We've seen snapshots of his life throughout the years. And we now meet him in Daniel chapter 10. He's aged about 90. What you don't find is Daniel, having reached the age of 90 or so, just sort of sitting back and watching the world go by. You don't find Daniel out on the golf course. You know, with, with his iron, ready to swing a, a good ball off to the, uh, the 17th hole. You don't find him just sort of chilling out uh, with a glass of his favorite wine, just allowing others to do things now. Now you find Daniel active and engaged. You see, there's no retirements in the kingdom of God. Now, for some of you, that's good news. Some of you are thinking, oh, <laughs> but actually, it's good news. Because sometimes we can be so, we can be so youth-focused that uh, we, we forget that actually God is interested in us, whatever our age. And I felt as I was preparing this, this morning, this week that some of you needed to hear this morning that word, that there's no retirement in the kingdom of God, and God hasn't finished with you yet. I'm being very careful not to look at any people in particular at this moment for uh, worry of causing offence. But it's true. There's no retirement in God's kingdom. And whatever your age, God can use you. And for some of you, you need to hear those words. God hasn't finished with you yet. So Daniel has remained faithful for 75 plus years. There's been no scandal, no backsliding, No running away from his post. He has been a senior politician for around about 75 years or so. I wonder how many of our politicians could say that these days. He has remained faithful and true. And God's still speaking to him. And we see now that God has given a vision to him which really affected Daniel. We see that he mourned. And, and fasted for three weeks, no choice foods, no uh, meat, no wine, or lotions, we're told as well. Which is somewhat curious, but in that hot, dry climate, particularly people of a, you know, who are fairly well-to-do would have used lotions on their skin to keep the heat of the sun off and to, to moisturize. Well, he didn't do any of that no good food or wine, no no lotions. He really wanted to hear from God. Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you've had an occasion where you've really wanted to hear from God. Fasting can help us incline our hearts towards the Lord. And that's what's going on here. Daniel is praying, fasting, asking God to speak to him. And what happens? God speaks to him. And God speaks to him very clearly. So right at the beginning of uh, Daniel chapter 10 here, the understanding of the vision comes to Daniel. And uh, we see that in the first few verses, between 4 and 6 there, that Daniel sees someone. It says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold round his waist, his body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Who do you think it is? Who do you think it might be? You can answer the question. It's Jesus, isn't it? It can only, it can only be Jesus. I mean, if you know your Bible, maybe uh, think of how. John describes his vision of the Lord in Revelation uh, chapter one. It says, um, "His feet were like, well, his head and hair were like wool, white like wool, his as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." Sounds like the same person, doesn't it? So Daniel is saying the Lord, he's saying Jesus, and Jesus comes to him. And this view of Jesus changes everything for Daniel. Suddenly he sees the Lord. He sees Jesus afresh. And things change as he sees him. Because actually, when you see Jesus, things do change. Think about what happens again to to John in Revelation 1. He sees the Lord and everything changes. I wonder this morning, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Maybe not in a vision like that, maybe in his words. But I want to ask you, have you seen him? Have you seen the Lord, really seen him? Because these guys in the Bible, when they encounter Jesus, something changes. You think of the disciples, they encountered Jesus and something changed dramatically in their lives. They gave up everything and followed him. For Daniel here and for the Apostle John, they they see Jesus and everything changes. They were overwhelmed. Have you been overwhelmed? Has seeing Jesus overwhelmed you? Because I want to suggest to you this morning, friends, that if you haven't been overwhelmed, then you probably haven't seen him. Because as you look through scripture, when people see the Lord in all his glory and majesty and wonder and splendor, they're overwhelmed. Their face touches the ground and, you know, they're they're scared because of the glory of the Lord. And they have to be told time and again, be strong. And that they're lifted to their feet and encouraged to be strong. You see, I think sometimes we can settle for too little. We can settle for a storybook version of Jesus that puts him in a certain mold, in a certain box. And paints him with, you know, flowing blonde hair and a, you know, white complexion, and you know, his his white robe there, and you know, a few birds fluttering around maybe. I mean, you've seen the pictures, haven't you? We can settle for too little. I, I, again, I felt this week as I was praying that God wants us to encounter Jesus afresh, because as you encounter Him afresh, things change. Your perspective changes. Your reality changes. Your heart changes. Everything changes. If you encounter Jesus afresh, then bang, you're probably going to hit the floor. But in that moment as you see him, as you see his glory, his majesty, sense his mercy. We were talking earlier of his justice, of his grace. That changes things and that that changed things for Daniel here changed things for the apostle John time and again through scripture as people encounter the Lord things change they change in fact that's the biggest change I wonder have you have you have you met the Lord like that have you encountered him don't settle for too little don't settle for someone else's experience of encountering Jesus and it's great to hear of other people's stories, isn't it? You find that encouraging. You hear about you know somebody encountering Jesus, maybe getting saved, maybe seeing the Lord for the first time. It warms our hearts, it encourages us, doesn't it? But listen, don't live off someone else's seeing, experiencing the Lord. Jesus wants to come to you that you might experience Him, you might see Him. Afresh, even this morning, even in these moments, as we look at these things, maybe God's going to come to you. You're going to see Him afresh. So, He sees Jesus. He is overwhelmed. Terror overwhelmed the the men that were with Him. They hid themselves. He was alone, his strength left him, his face turned deathly pale, and he was helpless. And uh, I, he has to be you know, encouraged to stand and to, and to, to hear what's going to happen. So in verses 10 through to 14, Daniel is told <coughs> excuse me, about the spiritual warfare that's going on. Daniel is given an insight into something that's happening in the heavenly realms. Now, it's important to notice right at at this moment as we move forward into, into verse 10 here that most commentators would suggest, and I would agree, that now it isn't Jesus speaking. Okay, so Daniel has met Jesus, he's seen him in all his majesty and glory and splendor, but now who we hear speaking isn't Jesus, it's an angel. Now, we'll see why it's important in a moment, and it is important. I agree it's not entirely clear. It's not, you know, in speech marks that Jesus said this and the angel said that. But as we read through, you'll see why this is important to notice this change. Because there is a change. So now we've got an angelic figure speaking to Daniel. He's seen the Lord. Now an angel has come to him and is speaking to him. Why it's important is this. In verse 13... This figure speaks to Daniel and says that the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This has to be someone other than Jesus Christ speaking. I mean, who could contain the Lord of heaven and earth for 21 days? You know, could Jesus say, I was caught up in this fight and I had to call for Michael, the archangel, to come and rescue me? I mean, could that be Jesus? Clearly, it is not Jesus speaking at these moments. So it makes perfect sense now for this to be an angel that is speaking to Daniel and telling him about what's been happening as he has been praying. Because you remember that he's been praying for three weeks and fasting and seeking the Lord. Well, this, this angelic figure has been detained for these past 21 days. And Daniel is filled with fear. I and mean, that's a fairly typical biblical response to seeing an angel as well, isn't it? If seeing the Lord is like, overwhelming, then uh, seeing an angel isn't a whole load easier. And it's, you know, again, Daniel is filled with fear. And he's come, clearly, because Daniel has been praying. He's come to answer Daniel's prayer. You know, angels are ministering spirits sent by the Lord to do his bidding. And so it's obvious that God has sent this angel to Daniel to explain to him some stuff, to tell him what's going on, to help him to understand at least part of what he has seen. And so that's why this angel has come to Daniel to bring some answer to him. And he does. And this section of Daniel we're about to look at now gives us an insight into some areas of spiritual warfare. It gives us an insight into some dynamics that we don't see with the natural eyes. It gives us an insight into what's happening in the heavenly realm. It gives us a glimpse into something, into another reality, in fact, as what's been happening. Now, actually, normally we wouldn't be privy to these things But Daniel shows us something of what's going on. And we see here the reality of good and evil angels. And we see that elsewhere in the Bible, but but it's abundantly clear here in Daniel chapter 10. So who's talking to Daniel? Well, it's a godly, a good angel that God has sent to him. So who's this prince of the Persian kingdom? that he refers to. What's that about? Well, that appears to be an evil angel. Just as there are good angels, there are bad ones too. And we learn here in in Daniel that it appears that there are angels that are somehow linked to geographic areas. You know, he's talking about uh, the prince, the king of Persia. He's talking about... um, He's a prince of the Persian kingdom. He says a bit later that a prince of Greece is is going to come against him as well. It appears that he's referring to these angelic beings, not good, but rather evil, which are coming against him. And they're somehow linked to to a geographic area. Well, we see that in Scripture, that 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 somehow seems to be what's happening. Maybe they're linked to particular areas or maybe nations, but there is some linkage here, clearly. But you see, since the fall, since Satan himself fell from heaven, he didn't go on his own. The Bible tells us that he took other angels with him. So whilst they were all created good to start with, actually there are now good and there are now evil angelic beings. We can see that in the world around us, can't we? We know there's good and evil. As well as good and evil being around us, and us seeing it on a human level, we see that that's true also in, this, in, the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm. Just as there are good angels, there are bad ones as well. And they seem to have an effect on a the nation. They're promoting evil, raising up tyrants, encouraging false religions. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Makes it fairly clear, doesn't it? That's what Daniel is hearing about here. And then what, does, uh, what was Daniel told? Daniel was told, Do not be afraid. Peace Be strong now, be strong, in verse 19 of Daniel 10. That's what the angel says to him. What does Paul tell us at the end of Ephesians 6, verse 10? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What we can see here, what we get a glimpse of into, is what's happening in a heavenly, in a spiritual realm. It seems there's a war on. It's what's happening, isn't it? You know, this angel is encountering uh, evil forces that he's having to battle with. Paul's talking about this similarly in Ephesians 6. And we're caught up in this. We are in a spiritual battle. You this morning are in a spiritual battle. And what I want to do as we look at these verses, as we're going through this chapter in Daniel, just, just rounding off this series, is give you faith for the battle. It's to encourage you in the fight. Because when you become a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, it, it, this is happening all around you. It's not that you get to opt in or opt out. You know, you, you, can't, you, know, you can't just sort of play the, uh, the trump card that says, you know what, I'm opting out of this battle. I'll just sit back and watch it. You're involved. You're part of it. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that the devil is like a prowling lion prowling around, waiting to see who he might devour. He's in your sights. As you're trying to be true to Jesus and follow him faithfully, the devil is out to pull you away from that. And we see a snapshot here of what's happening in the heavenly realms. And we're told to be strong, to stand firm, to pray, to use the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us. But that's all we're told. It stops there. What we are not told to do, and I want to make this very clear, what we are not told to do is to go after these spiritual beings. What we're not told to do is to try and identify them, bind them, cast them out, or do anything else to them. We're told that these things are happening. We're told that they're going on But we're not told, be it in the Old or the New Testament, is that we should somehow spend lots of time trying to identify them, worrying about who they are, what their names are, where they might have authority, but rather we're told to do some other things that we'll see about in a minute. Far too many so-called Christian books have been written on this subject. Far too many. About how you should try and find out the name of the evil force over your town or city or indeed nation how you should then go after it and seek to bind it and pray against it and all sorts of other things listen there is none of that in the bible it's just not there I mean if it was going to happen at any moment don't you think the angel would have said to Daniel listen I've been in this battle you could really help me now by praying against this guy this evil angelic force, you could really help me by, by binding it and doing lots of other things about it, and, but it's none of that. Daniel is given an, a window, if you like, into something that is happening. And that's it. We need to be very careful not to go further than the Bible goes. Very careful. And what's happened over the years is that People have got more interested in trying to find out some of these things that the Bible is clear is is not for us to know, unless God reveals it like that He did to Daniel in that particular occasion. It's not for us to know. And we can end up getting more interested in these occultish things than we can be interested in Jesus Himself. There is a danger there. And so I want to make it really clear this morning let's not go further than the Bible goes. Let's not add to words of scripture. Let's, let's take what the Bible says, let's be faithful to what God has told us to do and not go further. So let's not waste our time and energy doing something that the Bible doesn't tell us to do. Wouldn't it be better to do what the Bible does tell us to do? Wouldn't it be better to be worried about being obedient to what Jesus has made really clear to us rather about some other things? Now think about it. What were Paul's instructions. When he was writing to all the churches that he was working with, planting, overseeing, appointing, helping to appoint elders in, what were his instructions? Was it, you know, dear Ephesians, dear Corinthians, you need to find out the name of the spiritual power that is over your city because there's no hope for you until you do that. Love, Paul he didn't do it did he it's just not there think about think about it what did Jesus tell his disciples to do when he got the guys together it was just about to be their first ministry trip on their own so they'd been with Jesus he was just about to send them out in twos what did he say was it guys listen before you go uh, you need to be really clear about what the satanic force is over the town that you're going to because before, unless you know that you, you can't do anything Was there any of that is there any hint of that in scripture it's just not there. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Well, it's very clear. Sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to heal the sick, raise the dead. It's quite straightforward, really, isn't it? What was the early church told to do? Was it you know, to cast out spirits from a town before they planted a the church? No. It was to bring the kingdom of God in. You see, the danger is we can get so fascinated by things that don't concern us it's like having trump cards. Do you ever have trump cards as a kid? You know, it might be about trains or cars or whatever you were into. You know, and there were this many points or that many points. And if you got a different one, it might trump yours. You know, we can end up getting into that sort of thinking about these evil forces that we shouldn't be so concerned about. What we should be more concerned about is encountering Jesus, is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Healing the sick, raising the dead, being faithful to what Jesus has told us to do—that's what the Bible teaches us. It's not that we should be unaware of these forces. The Bible wants us to be aware of these things, but not to go after them. It seems that that's not our job. I made that? Made that clear? I want to be careful not to rant, and I've probably verged on, on, uh, on my soapbox on this. But listen, let's not go further than the Bible goes. Let's be fascinated by the Lord Jesus himself. Let's be more concerned with witnessing, planting churches, preaching the gospel, healing the sick. And when we come across individuals who are oppressed by the devil and evil forces, then we deal with it. So we are aware so when we come across people who are oppressed by the devil, then yes, we can cast out demons. Yes, we can set people free in Jesus' name. But that's as individuals. You know, that's as we come across individuals who are like that, and we will. Maybe some of you have done. And in that moment, we set people free in the name of the, in the name of Jesus. It says, "We as we nearly sang earlier, there is power in the name of Jesus." we set people free in his name but it's not that we somehow worry about what's over a town or a nation or or anything else okay so all this prepares us and leads us into daniel 11 and daniel 11 sets out the next 500 years or so between daniel and the birth of jesus some of it links into what we saw in chapters 7 and 8. You can look back and say, oh yeah, there's a a linkage there. If you look through uh, chapter 11 here, you'll see that some of what we, we looked at in 7 and 8 actually comes up again. And some similar people are talked about. So we can see the same thing that's being reinforced to Daniel here. And what we get is phenomenally accurate prophetic prediction. What I don't want to do is give a history lesson this morning, because that's not the point of why we've got this part of Daniel. But if you were to look at ancient history, going between 500 or so BC and the birth of Christ, and open up Daniel 11, time and again you go, oh, 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 it is phenomenally accurate. So accurate is it, it's led some people to say, you know what, it just can't be prophecy. It has to be first century reflection on the last five or six hundred years. Because some people just can't get their head around the fact that God could be that specific about predicting the future. Why not? He can. He knows it. And he did. It's clear here in, in Daniel 11. So we know different. But why is it here? Why did God give such accurate revelation to Daniel? Was it so that sometime later, sitting in heaven, Daniel could go, you know what, I got that one right. No, it wasn't for Daniel's benefit at all, actually. The reason that that God gives this revelation to Daniel so specifically is that it might encourage people who are going to go through it. Because they will see what the, the end of the game is. They will see how the book finishes. They will see where things are going. Daniel is told about severe war between the kings of the north and the south. they areas of Syria to the north and Egypt to the south. Who's in the middle? If you know your geography. It's Israel, isn't it? Actually, you've got Syria to the north, Egypt to the south. right in the middle you've got what's referred to here as the beautiful lands can only be talking about uh, the geographic area there of Israel and Daniel is given this prophecy in order to prepare God's people for what's coming at this difficult time and they're going to go through a difficult time they need to know very clearly that God is in control and Daniel 11 and 12 will help them to see that. Verse 21 of Daniel uh, 11 talks about a contemptible person who has not been given the honour of royalty. That can only be the character that we met last week, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Remember us talking about him? History tells us that um, in 168 BC, he set up an altar to the Greek god Zeus in the temple and he had pig sacrifice there and they were unclean animals to the oh, unclean animals to the Jews and that's the abom- abomination that causes desolation was the phrase that we we came across last time and that was foretold right there in in verse 31 of Daniel 11 Now much of this chapter has already been fulfilled. As we said, it it talks about the 500 or so years running up to the birth of Christ. But as well as that fulfillment that has clearly happened, you can look back in history and see it, it also prefigures something that is going to be future. Jesus talks about it in Matthew uh, 24. He used that same phrase actually, the abomination that causes desolation. He linked it back to Daniel's prophecy and he was talking about it to come in the future. And that did come in AD 70 when the, dist- when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. But do you remember we've said already that with this prophetic apocalyptic literature, he often has multiple fulfillments. So there's an initial fulfillment there in that 500 or so years running up to the birth of Christ. It was fulfilled again in AD 70, and it will be fulfilled again at the end of world history. Prophetic apocalyptic literature is often like that. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish where the fairly near-time prophecy ends and the end-time prophecy starts. It's, It's quite hard to find a dividing line sometimes. You see, what's going on here is also a picture of what will happen at the end of world history. Verse 40 following says, at the time of the end. It talks about a battle between the kings of the north and the south. And as we've said, that battle did happen in history. But at the end of world history, the end of time as we know it, there will be another great battle. There will be another final war. And towards the end of time, the Antichrist will emerge. Right through history, as we said before, there's been this Antichrist spirit that every now and then will rise. And it might, it might rise in, in a particular figure, a particular world leader, or a particular nation. We've seen that, haven't we, over time. But at the end of time, the final Antichrist will rise and set himself up against the Lord. Set himself up against God. And the warning for us is that he may not look evil, at least not to start with. He may come in the guise of a figure that actually, for many people, seems good. So maybe he'll come and he'll promote, you know, <clears throat> one world religion, maybe, that joins everybody together. Well, some people might look at that and think, well, that's that's, that's good, isn't that? Isn't that isn't that isn't that nice? But it's not biblical. We're told to worship the Lord and him only. Nobody else, nothing else. So he may do things that for many people seem, seem good. But actually for us as Christians, we know that are not true. And we're not to do. And that are against scripture and against what God has said. So friends, we will need to be wise. I mean, even in our day, things like this happen, don't they? You know, you get interfaith services that cross the line very often. We've seen something of it in our day, but this will only increase towards the end of time. And we're told that towards the end, there will be persecution. There will be persecution. And we're told that it will be the king who magnifies and exalts himself that will be behind this. And in verse 36 of chapter 11, we're told that the king will do as he pleases. Listen, whenever you're told that somebody does as they please, you know it's not going to be good. Because they've got no firm foundation to build upon. You know that they've got no moral absolutes as a foundation. You know it's not going to be good without God in the mix, without him in the equation. You know it's going to go wrong. And it will. And we're told that those who are followers of the Lord will come up against him. Verse 37 of chapter 11 says, He will show no regard. He will have the people of God in his sights. Friends, that's people like you and me. Because what's going to happen at the end of world history as we know it? But remember that behind this human figure are unseen spiritual forces at work. Spiritual forces that are out to destroy the church, to pick off Christians and generally destroy anything that's good. So just as Daniel is written for the encouragement of people facing persecution in the run-up to the first century BC, it is also written for our encouragement in this day right now and it is written for the encouragement of those who will follow Jesus in the future that's why it's here not that Daniel might get some brownie points for getting the prophecy right but it might be an encouragement to people that were shortly to come after him for us and for those who will come after us before the return of Jesus and Jesus will return Daniel ends, it finishes with a promise of deliverance. In Daniel 12, it's, it's hard to be exact about some of the things in Daniel 12. It's hard to get hold of. It's uh, not as easy as writing out a timeline. There's some confusing phrases that we come across in Daniel 12 here. So what can we, we be sure of? What do we know? What's clear? Well, before Jesus returns, it's clear there will be a time of persecution. And that will be significant and severe. Daniel is told in verse 1 of chapter 12, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. We've already seen something of that in chapter 11. But those who are faithful to Jesus will be delivered, ultimately, we're told. So a question that often comes up is, well, how long will it last? How long will it go on for? Uh, how long will it be like this for? Well, it's not clear in January 12 to give an accurate, timing timely answer to that question. There are confusing phrases, like in verse 7, we come across this phrase again, time, times, and half a time. Do you remember we came across that before, uh, previously? And then there are some lists of numbers. There's 1,290 days, 1,335 days. And you could try and you know, work out what they mean. But do you remember what we said about this type of literature, numbers are often symbolic. Time, times and half a time is a symbolic phrase, isn't it? It's hard to get round our heads what that actually means in numbers of days or years. And even Daniel is a bit confused here. See, we're in good company. Even Daniel isn't sure what the angel means. He doesn't doesn't quite get it. And so in in chapter 12 here, he he asks a question. He says, I don't understand. So he says, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And what's Daniel told? Verse 9, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed. Even when Daniel asks for more information, He's told, go your way. Daniel doesn't get all the answers and neither do we. But for both Daniel and us, whilst we might not get the answers we may want, we do get God's promise. And surely that's much better. Verse 13, Daniel 12. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Whilst it's not clear how long this time may take, it is very clear there will come a time when it will end. Jesus will return and make all things new. There will come a time when God says, Enough! It is finished and Jesus will return. So what will your allotted inheritance be? Well, clearly, if you know and love and follow Jesus, then it will be to spend eternity with him in new heavens and new earth. But what else? Does it mean other things as well? Well, the Bible also talks of Jesus coming with rewards for those who have been faithful. And I would suggest that particularly those who have been faithful throughout persecution and these sort of difficult times that these chapters in Daniel refer to, Jesus will reward them. I think he'll reward those who have been faithful in other circumstances as well. So I wonder, what might your inheritance be? Whilst there are some things that are not clear and are hard to get hold of and difficult to understand in the book of Daniel, particularly these last few chapters, right throughout the book, Daniel has taught us that whatever our circumstance we face, whatever the situation around us, however things might look, God is in control. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God is in control. See, in times of blessing... God is in control. In times of opposition, God is in control. In times of oppression, God is in control. When it's going well, God is in control. When it's going badly, God is in control. In times of severe and awful persecution that we've read of here, God is still in control. And if there's one thing that we take away from the book of Daniel, and we'll close with this this morning, time and again, we've seen this to be true. God is in control. Even when Daniel and his friends in their mid-teenage years were taken from their homeland by a foreign power and off to a nation and place they did not know, God was still in control. Right throughout Daniel's life, when he's faced all sorts of circumstances and some fairly mad kings, God has been in control. And what Daniel learns through this vision of the things that will happen at the end of time, is that God is still in control. And like Daniel, we can have a faith that works, a faith that sustains us, carries us, helps us to stand firm and to be strong and to know that God is in control. Let's stand together. We'll pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this book of Daniel. Thank you for all that we have learnt in our journey through it. Thank you for Daniel's faithful example to us. Thank you that for 75 or so years, he remained at his post, faithful to what you had called him to, committed to following you, no matter what the circumstances around us, around him. And so, Father, I pray we would learn from him. I pray, O oh God, that we would learn that you are in control. I pray that we would have a faith that works. I pray that we would know and encounter you afresh. I pray we wouldn't be satisfied at a picture book example of Jesus, but we would seek out and encounter the risen Lord himself. Father, I thank you that even though there are some things in this book that have been hard to understand and even confusing to us, Thank you that the message rings clear time and again. You are on the throne and you are in control. Father, I want to pray this morning, particularly for any who need to encounter you afresh. I pray even in these moments, God, would you reveal Jesus afresh to them. I pray that they would see the risen Lord coming to them afresh, bringing fresh faith in the circumstances they face. And Father, for any who may have written themselves off for whatever reason, Lord, be it age or experience, lack of maybe, or other circumstances, I pray, Father, that you would encourage them, that you would come to them even in these moments. Lord, just as we've said there's no retirement in the kingdom of God, Father, I pray that there'll be those this morning who you would give fresh faith for, for all that you have for them in the years ahead. And Lord, whatever our age, I pray that this book of Daniel would motivate us to stand firm and to stand true and to be faithful to your word. Lord, help us in these things. Father, we pray for brothers and sisters around the world who even in these days are undergoing awful and terrible persecution, that which we could never imagine. Father, even in these days it's happening. Lord, I pray you'd help them to stand firm and to stand true. I pray that the message of Daniel would be a help to them in these times. And Father, for each of us, no matter what we might face in the years ahead, God, help us to remain faithful to you. Lord, give us a faith that works. Remind us that you are in control. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.